Oh, wonderful, 146. He's showing sign language. I can't even hardly see him. He's up there doing something with his hands. Thinking, I'm not sure he's, I don't know what he is. So, boy, I'm glad to be here. I still miss my beloved. Things are going pretty good down south. Miss a day to get your casts off this coming Monday. Thank the good Lord. Has a week of therapy to go along with that. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, looking at eight weeks from this side of it rather than the other side makes a big, big difference. So thank all of y'all for your prayers. I do ask that you continue to pray for them. They definitely need it. Boy, the devil's not happy with God's people. You all know that. I mean to tell you, he, he's, I believe he's raging. And I'm glad. I, I'm just going to tell you, now, I'm glad I'm going to be here when he's cast down. When the third woe of the book of the Revelation is finally fulfilled, when the devil is cast down out of the heavens, down to planet earth, and knoweth he hath but a short time, I'm glad I won't be here. Amen. Now that's kind of what got us here at this study. Seems like it's been forever I've been in the pulpit on a, on a Wednesday night, but I'm happy for the things that have happened since the last time I was and that I am tonight. So let me catch you up just a little bit. With, with what's going on over in Israel, and I'm imagining part of what you were testifying about is a testimony of what Hamas did to the women of Israel, the babies. Y'all know they killed babies then, beheaded them, and burned them. Y'all did know that, don't you? I mean, to tell you folks, that, that, that's straight out of the pit of hell. That, that's terrorism, wouldn't you say so, Sergeant Major? At its max, even worse than ISIS, without a doubt. But I'm praying that they'll win this war. Let me say that again. I'm praying they're going to win this war. That's much better. And I believe, I believe they will, with, with, without a doubt. Pray for the hostages. Pray for Netanyahu. But any, anyway, what started on October the 7th still going on. And uh, Netanyahu said, we're going to change the face of the Middle East. Well, if that's true, that's what got us into this Bible study. A couple of Weeks before we started the study, I made mention of Psalm 83, and that's, did I ask y'all to turn to Psalm 83? I thought I already had. We're going to look at this tonight, just do some gleaning as we think about, and, and I don't know how many of these we will study, that's up to you, we, we can look at them quick, don't really want to do a deep dive in any of them except the one I'm going to deal with tonight and probably into next week, but we're going to look at the nine end time wars. According to the Word of God, there are nine wars that are going to take place, but somewhere between now and uh, at the end of the, uh, end of the millennial. And uh, the Word of God is just amazing in what it tells us, what, it, what He wants us to know. And the reason that we're looking at Psalm 83, this war that's going on in Israel now, is it Psalm 83 being fulfilled? I don't know. I don't believe it is yet. Could it be a precursor to a war similar to this that's yet in a day to come when it will be fulfilled? That is very, very possible. But this psalm of Asaph is very, very intriguing to me. And uh, we were studying about this and where I kind of got on, on a track. I wanted everybody to know we're going to be gone before it gets too bad. If you're happy about that, say Amen. We are not all millennialists which do not believe in the millennial reign of Christ. 
We are not mid-tribulation raptures. We're happy we're not going through any part of the, of the tribulation, uh, three and a half years or seven years, which uh, the post-rapturists believe. I'm glad we're gone. Bless God, listen, before it all starts. And that's what's got us here. We've been a few other places. Last time I taught you, we were looking at the truths. That's what I entitled it about, uh, the tribulation. And let me clarify something. I'm not sure that I made a misstatement. I had to go back and listen to it all and find out. But Sharon, I think, my sister-in-law asked me who is going to, um, who is going to populate the millennial kingdom. After the tribulation is over, when Jesus comes back, all right, in his revelation, when the battle of Armageddon is fought, and uh, when the judgment of Matthew 25, which is the judgment of the sheep and of the goat nations, uh, the goat nations are cast cast into hell. The sheep nations are the ones that took care of the nation of Israel through that seven-year period of time, were good to them, and became believers, those will be the one that will inhabit that new millennial. They'll, they'll go in saved. They'll go in as believers. And I'm not sure I said that, that clearly that night, but uh, there's going to be a big revival in the tribulation. You all know that, don't you? John said, I saw a number come out of great tribulation that no man no man could number. So I know that's a lot to throw out, especially for somebody like Austin, maybe some of you others that are young. But look, let me say this. Grab you a plank and hold on. You won't drown. Um, uh, this is an adult Bible study class, and you'll, you'll get there if you stay at it. I'll do my best to answer any question you ask if you just hold your hand up or holler at me or do whatever. So Psalm 83. It is so difficult when I get up here. So many things go through my mind. I mean, Joe Grinnan, he knows that. You understand that, don't you? I mean, just so, so very many things go, go through my mind. It, it's just hard to figure out what to say and what not to say. Let's read about the first four verses, maybe six verses of uh, maybe eight verses. <laughs> this psalm. Um, I'd like to read the whole thing, actually. He said, Keep not thou silence, O God, Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. And he has a reason for asking that, because he says, For, lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. Can I tell you all what? That's a foreign idea to me, for anybody to hate God. Now, that, that's who the hatred is, is, is directed to. That's what Asaph is saying. He's saying, and it's not like Asaph, is uh, uh, letting God know something that he didn't know. He's just simply saying what God already knew, that people hate God. I mean, that, that, that's a foreign thought. To, I'd be, to say I hate God. Man, I'm telling you. But a lot of people that don't believe in our God. And a lot of people don't believe in God, period. He said, For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be more in remembrance. Just recently, 
in the United States of America on the ungodly heathenistic college campuses that dot our landscape. A lot of people that are ignorant about the truth have been chanting from the river to the sea. Now, can anybody tell us what that's speaking of and what they want? A total annihilation of the nation of Israel. Look, look up here at me, everybody. The Palestinians don't want a two-state. They don't want a two-state situation. Exactly. Exactly. They'll continue doing that. They don't want to live side by side with Israel. They want to live without Israel. Netanyahu, and I hope I get this quote right, said, if the Arabs lay down their guns, we'll have peace. He said, if the Israelis lay down their guns, we'll be dead. And that's true. That is totally true. I wish I could remember the rise of anti-Semitism, meaning hatred of the Jews for no reason at all. It was started in the heart of Satan, and I taught that and have even preached it, and I could run over it again really, really quickly. Satan thinks that if he can annihilate the nation of Israel, get rid of the Jews, that he can thwart or stop God's plan from coming to pass, therefore discredit God, make him a liar and prove him wrong. I'm going to use real simple Boone County language. That just ain't going to happen. Jeremiah 31, and I'll, I'll just kind of paraphrase it, says, now if the sun, the stars, and the moon and the sky will quit shining and going through their courses that God has set them in, then it might happen or it could happen. But let me say it again. That ain't going to happen. It just is impossible. God has chosen the children of Abraham. He promised them two things, among others. He promised Abraham a seed. That's the nation of Israel, the Jews. And he also promised them a land. That is the nation of Israel, which stretches all the way from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea, from north of Hamath up above Lebanon and to the river of Egypt in the south. Surprise, Jordan. Surprise, Saudi. Surprise, Damascus and Syria. Surprise, Lebanon, Tyre, and a few other places. You're living on somebody else's property. Amen. Belongs to God's chosen people. And how exciting that is. Look at what he goes on to say. He said, For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Now listen, when you go against God's people, you're going against God. If you understand that, say amen. Don't mess with God's people. Don't mess with God's men. Don't mess with God at all. He said, and he, here he's going to name them. There are, there are 10 nations that are listed here that border or their borders border the nation of Israel. That border is one and the same for both nations. He said, uh, the tabernacles of Edom and, it, and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines, Jebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre or Tyre, 
Asher also is joined with them. They have opened the children of Lot, Selah. Now these are nations that immediately surround the nation of Israel. To the north, to the south, and to the east. They touch the borders of the nation of Israel. And the reason I bring this up, if we ever get there, and hopefully one day we will, when we get to the book of Ezekiel chapter 38, and we begin to see the, I don't know, 11 to maybe 14 nations, depending on how you count, that are named in that chapter where we find the war of Gog and Magog, they don't border the nation of Israel. Did you all know that? I've told you that. Some of you have studied it. Before I started studying this, I didn't know it. In fact, the first time I mentioned this chapter 83, not chapter, Psalm 83 in this war, I even told you I, I, I think that it's a war that was already passed. When I began to dig into it, I began to uh, come to the conclusion that it may have been a war that was fought in the past under David or Jehoshaphat maybe, but I believe it's also not only an actual war, but it's also a prophetical war. In other words, the war might have been fought and successfully won by David in a day past or another king of the nation of Israel, but it is a type or a picture of a, of a war that would be fought in the future. And when you get a prophecy like that, it's called a, a prophecy with a double Double reference, they call it a DD or something like that, meaning that it's partially fulfilled here and completely fulfilled here. Does that make sense? So the, the thing about this war is, and then I'll introduce this, this, this psalm just a little bit, tell you a little bit about it. The reason that it is important, there has got to be peace to the nation of Israel where they are dwelling and feel that they are dwelling safely before the, war, the first war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38-39 can take place. What's on your mind, youngin? Okay, good deal. No question then? All right. This psalm was written by a man by the name of, of Asaph. Asaph was a, a Levite. Uh, he was chosen by David when he established the temple worship to be a worship leader. He, a man to the name of Heman and also Jeduthun, they were, they, were, they were to be great, and I, I, I really hate using this phrase, worship leaders. See, that didn't bother y'all, but it did me. But they really were in the truest sense. In fact, his place, if I understand what I've read right, he was on the right side of the altar, the place of strength and the place of, well, of, of prominence, actually. But he was not only that. He was a seer, the Word of God. What's, what's a seer? What, somebody tell everybody else what a seer is. He's a prophet, exactly. Uh, you remember when, when Saul and his servant were out looking for his daddy, uh, Jesse's mules, do you know where they decided to go? They, they decided to go see the seer, try to find those mules. And uh, that, that's what Asaph was. The reason I bring that up, there, there are a lot of difference of opinion on Psalm 83. So if you get in one camp, 
and you, you believe one thing about it or another camp and believe another thing, you're in good shape. You'll be in good company. There'll be no harm and no foul. But a lot of people said there is no prophetic utterance in this psalm particularly. I think I can see a couple of things. But when I realized that Asaph was a seer, that's enough for me. Have you ever, do you ever think that when the Old Testament was being written, that the prophets even that were writing, the kings that were reading, the scribes that were teaching, and, and the copyists that were copying didn't know that one day Jesus when he came in the flesh, would reach back, reach back across that 400-year silence and reach over in one of the books of the Old Testament, pick out a verse of Scripture and say, this is fulfilled in your presence today. And I believe God is still able to do that with his word. I believe that with all of my, with all of my heart. He was a singer. He was a, a musician. Now, this psalm is what is known as an imprecatory psalm. Can anybody define that? Well, it's a kind of prayer that they could pray in the Old Testament that we shouldn't pray in the New. It is a psalm asking God to judge their enemies, bring calamity upon them, kill them if necessary. Are y'all getting it? Imprecatory. And I don't know, theologians are strange people. Say amen right there. They get in these tiny rooms with candles and study and think up some of the strangest words, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a kind of prayer that would bring judgment upon their enemies. Now, I'm going to say this to defend Asaph, if I may. When he, when he gets jealous over the things of God and tries to defend God, I don't think that's a bad thing. Or y'all understand what I'm saying? David said, look, I hated them with a perfect hatred. Let me tell y'all something. The Bible says that we ought to anger and sin not. It didn't say not get angry. There are things that if we don't get angry at, I'm not sure that we're not sinning when we don't. There, there are some things that ought to really, really trouble us. But this was a prayer that a prayer of judgment upon those that had made a confederacy against David. Now here in verse 4 is where they get the idea and they name this war the war of annihilation. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. How many times, just looking back really quickly, we won't spend but a moment or two on this, can you remember instances in the Old Testament and even in the new, where there were some character, some individual that rose up that was motivated by Satan without a doubt in my mind that tried to annihilate the nation of Israel. Can you remember any names? Hitler was one. Who else? Who? Alexander. Who else? You got any Bible names to go along with those? And they were two great ones. How about... The king and Esther, exactly. I can't remember. It really wasn't him as much as it was Haman. Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus. They had great names, did they not? Ahasuerus. How much y'all like to be named? Never mind. Sure. Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus. Haman was the one that, that drove that. But you, anybody else? How about Pharaoh? 
What, what did Pharaoh do uh, early on when Moses was born? Try to slay who? All the sons. All the boys. There's a reason. What did Herod do after the wise men came? Josh just preached that Sunday. Two-year-olds and under in the city of Bethlehem. Listen, Satan, listen, he knows the Word of God, but he doesn't know the Word of God. But there's nothing going to get in the way of God's plan without a doubt. Put your finger there if you'd like. Turn to, turn to Psalm 2, if you will. This is sort of a, I want to call it a parallel psalm, but maybe kind of more like a first cousin psalm to, uh, to what we read in verse 4, especially of 80, 83. I'm, I'm going to read several verses in here, if that's okay. Psalm, psalm 2. Uh, we don't know who the author of this psalm is outside of a holy man of God, and, uh, but it does say it's a psalm of the king. Now, that doesn't mean that a king wrote it. It means it's about a king. And the psalmist asks, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? You see, when a moss thinks that they can annihilate Israel, that's a vain thing. When Satan thinks that he can spoil God's plan, that's a vain thing. When we think anybody thinks they can go against God Almighty, that's a vain thing. Said the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, meaning Jesus Christ, specifically saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Listen to God's response. He's not shaken, looking at the sun and saying, My Lord, what are we going to do? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision or have them in derision. He's not a bit upset. Man's not nearly as big as man thinks he is. Not. And if you look back over in, in Psalm 83, in that, first, in that first verse, we don't see it, and, and you can in a minute, we don't see it in the English, but, but the Holy Spirit moved the writer of this psalm, who was Asaph, to use two uh, Hebrew names of God, Elohim and El. And both of them have to do with power, with strength. It was God or Elohim in the beginning that spoke the world into existence. Folk, if, if that isn't a manifestation of raw power, I don't know what is. He said, and, and then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. He said, yet, now you know what they said. Listen to this. The psalmist said, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And as of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possessions, and thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a pot vessel. Listen, we'll turn back to Psalm 83. When Jesus comes to rule in the millennium, he's going to rule his kingdom with a rod of iron. I mean, he's going to have a strong hand when he sits upon the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. Now, where do I go? A lot to say and little time to say it in. 
as we look, as we look at these nations in, in Psalm 83 from verse 6 through 8, they have to be taken care of. Turn to Ezekiel 38 really, really quickly. That seems kind of shotgunish to me, but this is the way I feel led doing it. I'm going to get, I don't know, four verses out of this chapter 38 of the book of Ezekiel and let you see why it's so important for these nations, for this war that they again call of annihilation, uh, be, be fought. In other words, I'm going to make a statement. It's got to be fought before the uh, war of Gog and Magog. The first war of Gog and Magog is fought. And, and Ezekiel's going to tell us why. God does through, uh, through Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 38. Everybody there? Still getting there? If you are, let me know that too. I'm in no hurry. I can hear pages. Don't want to do it without anybody. Well, in, in Ezekiel 38, let's, let's, look at, let's look at two or three Let's look at two or three verses. Um, let's look at verse 8. He said, and after many days thou shalt be visited. Look at the next phrase, in the latter years. When do you all think that's talking about? In the latter years. And that's, that's what he's talking about. Talking about the time that we're living, actually. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? How many of you think it's obvious that we're living in the last days? If you're Bible people and you all are, it is obvious. There's no doubt. Now look, it's been the last days ever since Jesus has been here. We know that. But there is the last days of the last days. I like the way Tony Hudson says what he says. He says... That, that the sun is setting, the sun is setting, not sitting, the sun is setting on the age of grace. And it really, it really, really is. Uh, look, in, uh, look, look again in verse 8, we'll continue. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. Now he's talking about Russia and his Islamic confederates. I didn't read that to you. We will eventually, but that's who he's talking about. Let me read that again. Thou shalt come. He's talking to them. That, that Russian-led Islamic confederacy. You see, I Googled today to find out how many of these nations that... I'll make a handout next week and bring to you of these nations and where they're at in, in, in modern language today, both out of the book of Psalm 83 and the book of Ezekiel 38, if that's okay. I just noticed that, 38 and 83. Yeah, I just, just hadn't noticed that. No coincidence. I don't know if that's significant or not, but it's interesting. He said that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations. And here's the phrase I wanted to get. They shall dwell safely, all of them. Meaning all of those that have been brought back from the nations that they have been buried in for almost 2,000 years. Now let me explain that. In 70 A.D., 
in the year 70 after Christ died, was buried and resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father. A man by the name of Titus, who was a Roman general, came into Jerusalem, as it was told, and made Jerusalem desolate. I mean, tore the temple down. I mean, there wasn't one stone left upon another. Actually took plows and, and plowed the ground on, 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 on uh, uh, Mount Moriah where Jerusalem is, where Israel's capital city is. And even I've read where they sowed salt on it so nothing would grow. At that time, something called the diaspora or the dispersing of the nation of Israel, the Jews, into all the world took place. They, they were scattered, just like the Word of God said that they would be. And let me tell you something. When I learned, and I'd wondered for years why God, quote, buried them among the nations. That was when I learned that that was one of the most wise things God could do to his people to ensure that they would endure, man, I about had myself a fit. I mean, I got happy. Listen, the wisdom of God is greater than man's. Now, he dispersed them throughout all the world. Now, don't let anybody, now everybody listen to me right now, say amen. Don't let anybody talk to you about the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Hey, look up here, brother, sister. They're not lost. God knows exactly where they're at. Now, their genealogy was destroyed in 70 AD when they burned the temple. The records of their genealogy were kept there, and they were destroyed. Can anybody tell me the only Jew whose genealogy has been preserved? Jesus Christ. That's it. We got it in this book. See, I want to shout right there on that. But God knows who's a, a Levite. I'm, let me give you. Let me give you. Let me give you hints. Their last name's Cohen. Kohite. You remember that? If their last name is like Levin, you know what I'm saying? Levite. I mean, listen. God knows if they don't know, and when it's time for them to know, God will let them know. But there's something that happened. That's what I say. There's just not enough time. 18 and 48, May the 14th, a nation was birthed overnight. That fulfilled a prophecy. David, or, or, or David um, Ben Garen, thank you, and the others in that committee, they hoisted the flag of Israel up and declared for the first time, and all, like I said, almost 2,000 years, 1900 and some, they declared themselves a sovereign, independent... I am going to shout on that one. Hey, man, thank God. 1967. I believe it was June the 7th when the paratroopers came in. They recaptured the city of Jerusalem for the first time in a long time. You remember that? They went to the welling wall. One of the, one of the, one of the rabbis, I forget his name. I can see his face on a picture I've got at home. He, he, he blew the shofar that day. And they all wept, man, when they got to the wailing wall. Two of the greatest prophecies 
have happened within the last hundred years before Israel become a nation again. None of these prophecies that are taking place before our very eyes in this day could happen. But when that happened, God just began to let his prophetic time clock go. And I'm telling you, there's one other thing that's happened recently that makes a trio of things that's significantly important. Does anybody know what that one is? I've not told you about it. I've told you these other two time and time again. The third thing is, see, I'm happy. I am happy. For the first time, and I cannot remember the date, it's somewhere up in this cobweb of stuff that I call a brain sometime. For the first time, and I don't know how many years, there are more Jews in the nation of Israel than they are in the rest of the world. You say, is that important? Go with me back here to Ezekiel chapter 34. I've got time to read these verses and then we just got to quit. Chapter 34 of the book of Ezekiel. Pick it up in verse 11. Just a couple of pages back. Chapter 34. For thus, at verse 11, saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day, that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and all the inhabited places of the country. I say glory to God about that. Y'all know when... When Reagan was president and he said, Gorbachev, tear that wall down. And there was a mass exodus. I don't have time to go to the book of Jeremiah, show you where that was prophesied, that there would be a day that they would rejoice over the exodus out of the north back into the land of Israel more than they rejoiced over the exodus out of the nation of Egypt into the land of promise. I don't have time to show you that. But there were Jews that in, in Russia... They were in, in, in philharmonic orchestras. They were, they were surgeons. They were, they, were, they were doctors of all different sorts. They had prominent places in society. And they were back in Jerusalem on the streets, sweeping the streets of Jerusalem. Couldn't get a better job. And you know what? Somebody interviewed him and said, uh, why'd you come back? But why are you here? What you had, the life that you lived, and look now, you're just making it. You know what they all say? I can't explain it. There was just something in my heart that told me I needed to go home. See, I, I've got chills going up and down my back. Turn a page to chapter um, 35. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. I know I'm going a couple minutes late, but it'll be worth it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, chapter 36 at verse 16. Chapter 36, verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying. Now watch how this is written. Son of man, that, that was a nickname for Ezekiel. What's the next word? Now listen to me, not if. 
That's what I said. It's not if. Are y'all getting it? Okay. When the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the unclean of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherein they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen. And they were dispersed through the countries according to the, their way and according to their doings. And let's skip down to verse 22. Therefore say unto the, Lord, unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whether you went. But I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen uh, shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord. Here it is. When I shall be sanctified in, in you before them, for I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in that land that I have given unto your fathers. And ye shall be my people, and I shall be your God. And I say glory, hallelujah, amen. You say, preacher, what you get excited about that? Listen, if he couldn't keep the nation of Israel, his children, he couldn't keep me. And that'd worry me. But since I know that he can and has proven that he has and will, that excites me to no end. Well, it's a terrible place to have to quit, but I guess we must. 